Hey, I'm Stephen Hovatter, the lead minister at Central Church of Christ in Little Rock, Arkansas. Our goal as a church is to follow Jesus together. So we gather on Sunday mornings for Bible study at 9 a.m. and worship at 10, 15 a.m. And you'd always be welcome to join us. To learn more, go to arcentralchurch.org. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon. Have a seat. Man, this has been great so far this morning. Wasn't the stuff with the kids so great at the beginning? It was wonderful. Um, I told somebody that uh, when I get to perform a wedding, and, and a wedding is something that is so meticulously organized and carefully planned down to the smallest detail, and then people ask a four-year-old and a five-year-old to play a part in it. And it's like, all right, we've got a ring bear and a flower girl. Anything could happen, right? There's a, and, and sometimes you need a child just to be a little bit of an agent of chaos just to keep everything honest, right? But our kids, let's give our kids a hand. They did a wonderful job. They were working on that. They were working on that for a while. Um, our teens are going to, some of our teens are going to come over here and we're going to pass something out for you guys uh, this morning. Uh, we have, uh, occasionally we have devotional guides here at Central and we have, there's some here, guys, there's a other, another big bucket of them over here too. We have these books and I would just uh, invite you to take maybe like one of these or one or two per household if you don't mind. Um, We'll see how this is just going to take a second. Uh, but what this what we have this month for the rest of April are a just take the take the whole box there. Yeah, there we go. That's yeah, that's gonna be much better. This is a giant box of these right here. I don't know why they didn't take this. <laughs> what we have this month are reflections on the resurrection. And in each uh, each day, they're kind of there's a devotional for each day, and it just takes a piece of scripture that has to, something to say about the resurrection of Jesus, and then it just has some reflections on that. Easter is something that we celebrate on a day. We think of Easter as a Sunday morning thing, but I want to invite you to treat the coming weeks as a season of reflecting on the resurrection and take time. Take some of the stuff that we celebrate today and give it some more thought, give it some more attention uh, over, over the coming weeks. Appreciate you guys helping uh, pass those out. Uh, also, too, I do want to uh, call attention to in the foyer, we have a little backdrop if you want to take some pictures before you go. And that's if you want to take uh, pictures of, of your, your family that's here with you today. Uh, or if you want to just grab a buddy, somebody that is a, a friend of yours here at Central and take some snapshots too, then go for it. We want that to be uh, part of what happens uh, this morning. So uh, grab a friend, take a picture. Just remember the day. When we think theologically about what we might say about who Jesus is, there are lots of ways that we might address the identity of Jesus. We might introduce him. We might say, this is Jesus. He is the Savior, right? Like that would be a very common thing that almost all of us would say about Jesus. Or we might say, this is Jesus. He is the Lord. 
Of course, that's the ancient uh, confession of the church. Jesus is Lord, right? The thing that they would say to remind people that Jesus was the one who was sovereign over the world. You might say Jesus is the king, or you might say Jesus is the crucified one. We've sp spoken at length over the last month about Jesus' identity as the one who was crucified for our sins. But Jesus, Jesus introduces himself to us. In the book of Revelation, John has a vision of Jesus, and that vision is, well, I don't know, I don't know what to say about it except for it's mildly terrifying. When he sees Jesus, it's not cute and cuddly Jesus with a child on his knee at this moment. But in chapter 1, verse 12 and following, this is how John sees Jesus. Then I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. And on turning, I saw that in the midst, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white as white wool, white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined as in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining with full force. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he placed his right hand on me, saying, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead, and see, I am alive forever and ever, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus, the Savior, Jesus, the Lord, Jesus, the crucified one, Jesus, the word of God, all the things that Jesus is to us. What is it that Jesus says when he comes to in this vision to John? What is it that he has to say about? He says, he says, I am alive. I am the living one. And maybe that is the first thing that we should say about Jesus. Because all the other things fade into the background if the Jesus that is all those other things is also dead. But our faith is that Jesus was dead and now he is alive. Forever and ever, he is alive. Jesus is 
the living one. And that is at the core of his identity. That is who he was before he came to Bethlehem. And that is what he has always been until this day and forevermore. Jesus is alive. He's more alive now than you or I are. He has always been the very epitome of life, the source of life. Jesus is the one from whom all life comes. He is the living one. It is at the core of who he is. What does it mean for us to be people who follow the living God? We've spoken a lot about what it means to follow Jesus along the way of the cross. And we've been reflecting here at Central on what it means to follow Jesus as he says to follow him and take up our crosses and follow him. We've thought about what it means to follow Jesus as one whose story leads to the cross. And there are lots of dimensions of that. The cross has so much to say to us. But on this Easter morning, I want to say one last thing about the way of the cross. And it's this. The way of the cross is also the way of the empty tomb. And all of the other things that we might have said about what it means for Jesus to be the one who leads us to the way of the cross, we have to also recognize that the way of Jesus doesn't end on the cross. That story can't be rushed. We have to take the cross and its death and all of its significance. We have to really sit with the cross before we can skip ahead to the part of the story we're paying attention to today. But make no mistake about it, the significance of the cross becomes much richer and fuller when we remember that the cross is headed to the empty tomb. All the things that we might, that we've already talked about, about what it meant for Jesus to be crucified. That Jesus was one who went with the intention of the cross, even though it meant that he would suffer betrayal. That betrayal only becomes fully significant when we recognize that on the other side of the cross, Jesus is going to seek to reconcile with his disciples like he does with Peter, welcoming him back into the story, right? Or maybe we think about the way that Jesus went through all those trials and was innocent and yet still killed, still executed. Well, part of the significance of that comes, becomes much richer when we recognize that in the resurrection, Jesus is vindicated as the Son of God. The evidence of his rightness, what was a great injustice, is made right when Jesus is raised from the dead. 
Or maybe we think about the ways that the soldiers would mock and uh, humiliate Jesus in that, in that moment right before he is killed and he's crucified. And what becomes the shameful humility of that moment takes its truest significance when Jesus is raised in glory. All of these things that we might think about what it means to be about the way of the cross take on their full significance when we recognize what will happen in the day of the resurrection. The cross is significant in its own right, but its significance is fully realized when it is held in the memory of the empty tomb. And of course, it works the other way too, right? The significance of the resurrection can only really be fully recognized when we hold it in light of what has happened before. When Jesus appears to his disciples in the book of John, there's a moment where he comes and you guys recognize this, remember the story of Thomas. He, Jesus appears to his disciples in this empty room and they all see him and they rejoice and they celebrate. Except for Thomas wasn't there. And so he says, I, I, I won't believe it unless I see it with my own eyes. And sure enough, they are gathered again and Jesus shows up almost as if he is there just for Thomas, right? The whole thing. Well, let's do the whole thing just so Thomas can see it. And what he says to Thomas is he invites him and he says, come, take your fingers and you can see that I still have the wounds. Take your hand and put it in my side, Thomas. The Jesus that appears to his disciples as resurrected still has wounds. He is not without the scars of the cross. The resurrected one is the crucified one. And all of the things that we would say about what it means for Jesus to be resurrected have to be held together with what it meant for him to be crucified in the first place. It's not one of those things that says, okay, now everything is forgotten. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody who's done you wrong and they want to make it just a little too easy for everything to be set right you know there are certain conversations that need to last a little bit longer than my bad sometimes you have to do some of the work of saying, hey, this was what was going on. This is what led me to wrong you in that way. This is how I plan to make amends for what was done. Sometimes you need a little bit more conversation. You know, there's a big difference in a conversation with somebody who is coming to you and asking for you to forgive them. There's a big difference from saying, I'll forget about it. Uh, it's no big deal. And looking at them and saying, you're right, I was hurt. And I forgive you. One approach says, I'll take the wrong and I'll just minimize it and act like it really didn't really matter. And the other one confronts it 
He says, yes. I was deeply hurt. Which of those types of forgiveness is more significant? The one that honors the pain and honors the wounds and honors the cost that was at play. And so it is with the resurrection. The resurrection does not simply wipe away the cross as though it never happened. Rather, it takes all of the significance of the cross, holds it up and says, even despite all of this, God makes it right. God makes it right. God doesn't ignore what was wrong. But God takes what was broken and he makes it whole. He takes what was wounded and makes it alive again. God makes it right. If I was thinking about themes that we've talked about in the way of the cross over the last few weeks, we've, we've really kind of worked on this a lot. If you're just here with us today, you're going to get the short version. <laughs> if I was going to take two giant themes of what the cross really means to us, it would be something like this. The cross speaks to us about sacrifice and solidarity. In other words, there is Jesus who is willing to pay a price for presence. He is willing to offer himself in radical generosity in a way that allows himself to fully identify with humanity. God is not a God that stays aloof in the, in the world. He doesn't just stay at a distance ruling from on high, but rather God was willing to, in Jesus, get involved in the earth, to come and be present. And his presence, the solidarity that he has with humanity, that presence cost him. And everything that we say about what it means to be a people who follow the way of the cross flows from this too, right? That we are meant to be people who are sent into the world to also imitate the sacrifice of Jesus for the sake of others and are meant to also stand and be present in the painful places of life. I appreciate what Scott had to say at the communion table today. And it's true that one of the most powerful things that we've seen over the last week are places where people have been willing to offer themselves or their services or generosity, their stuff. They've been willing to sacrifice for the sake of others, but also to stand with others in the moment of their deep and profound suffering. And when we have these two things together, sacrifice and solidarity, People who will pay the price for a costly presence. In that moment, we have the people who are following the way of the cross. Who are following the way of Jesus in the world. And surely this is what Jesus meant. When he said to his disciples, if you want to be my disciple, you have to lay down your life, take up your cross and follow me. If I was thinking about what the resurrection has to say to us. 
in the way that the New Testament authors think about what resurrection meant as an agenda for their life in the world, they do something similar to what the writers say about the cross. When Paul says to the Philippian church, hey, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And then he tells them the story about the cross, trying to remind them, hey, listen, Jesus went to the cross for your sake. You can at least lay down some of your preferences for each other. And it does something similar with the resurrection. It's not something just to be believed about Jesus. But the story of the resurrection is something we take up in our own lives as well. There are two things that repeat themselves all over the New Testament in thinking about the resurrection. And they are how we can be a people who are filled with hope and live with the power of God. Hope and power are often the ways that the New Testament thinks about the effect of the resurrection on us. We live not just expecting that we will live for a short while and die and that is the end of us, but we live towards the hope of a resurrection that we will share in Jesus. Not only that, but the New Testament often speaks about how because of the power that we see demonstrated when God raised Jesus from the dead, we know that God also gives us the help and assurance that we need to fight our battles against all the things that attack us in this life. Book of Ephesians starts off in, in Ephesians chapter one, Paul is praying for the church and he says, uh, I want you to know, <laughs> I, want, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of glorious, his glorious inheritance among the saints? In this, he says, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe according to the working of his great power? Now, Hold that thought for a second because I want to remind you that he's not just talking in cliches about power here. Paul later on in the book will remind the people of Ephesus that they need to arm themselves with the whole armor of God, right? That they're in a fight for their lives. So much so that the things that they are standing against aren't simply just enemies of flesh and blood. It's not just they have to deal with some mean people. But Paul says that their struggle is against the rulers and the authorities against, listen to this phrase, the cosmic powers of this present darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So when Paul talks about power, talking to a people that need some, he's talking to people that often feel powerless. And in that first chapter, when he says 
what I really deeply want you to know. I want you to have the spiritual wisdom and insight to recognize the power that is available to you. And then verse 20 says this, God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and power and authority and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Paul says that in our struggle, in our fight, the only power that will do to get us through, to help us to stand, as he says in chapter 6, the only power to get us through that is the same power that was at work when Jesus was raised from the dead. And thanks be to God, that is the very power that God makes available to us in the Spirit. In the New Testament, the church lived in hope and also in power. Believing that the moment of the resurrection was not just a singular thing that happened in history, but it was something that must change the way that we live before God. Hope and power. But of course, both of those things sound something like what we had already learned in the cross, right? For what sacrifice is ever made except by hope? And what is the use of God's solidarity and his presence with us if it does not also bring power to those who are powerless? Cross and the resurrection. They both are speaking of the same sort of thing. The fact that Jesus, in his crucifixion and his resurrection, are definitive testimonies of what God's approach to us will be. And in the cross, we see that, Jesus, that God's approach to us is that he is willing to pay the price of sacrifice. And he is willing to show up and to be present. And in the resurrection, we see that God's posture to us is such that we may hope that he will bring about good. Hope. That God's story is not quite over with us. A theologian named Stanley Hauerwas has said that the resurrection names the reality that God will not abandon us even in death. That's exactly what our hope is, right? 
Our hope is that the one who raised Jesus from the dead will also see us through. And also, we stand in God's presence and that changes the whole dynamic of whatever power might be facing us. We might feel powerless except for the reality that God is with us. Jesus sending his disciples out into the world in the Great Commission. After he's told them to go out, right? And he says, you know, go and uh, baptize the nations, teach them to obey everything that I've commanded. And he ends with this. These are the last words in the Gospel of Matthew. And I am with you always even to the end of the age. They go in power because they go with Jesus. The only reason that's possible because Jesus is the living one. He was dead, but now he is alive forever and ever. Both the cross and the resurrection proclaim that God is for us and God is with us. He is for us, paying the cost of sacrifice. And he is for us, filling us with new hope. And God is with us. In radical solidarity, being made a human being all the, and carrying that human life all the way to death. And God is with us in the resurrected Jesus that is ever present with us. This is the gospel of Jesus. And it's the gospel of the cross. And it's the gospel of the empty tomb. That the one who is crucified is risen again. And because of what we see and know in Jesus. We may never doubt. That God is no longer ever portrayed as against us. And God. Oh, it seems so hard to believe some days. God is not absent either. God is for us and God is with us and so shall it be forever and ever. This morning, I want you to know that that gospel, that word of God's for usness and God's with usness. It's true about us as a community of people, but I want you to know that it is true for you. That despite whatever it is that you might have heard, you may look at the cross and definitively know that God is for you that God is with 
you. And you may look along with the disciples into the empty tomb. Know the hope and the power that made that happen is available to you too. And on this Easter morning, know that God is for you and God is with you. We, as a community, we say that our mission here is to follow Jesus together. And our invitation is this. Come. Come, if you will, and join us as we follow the way of the cross, which is also the way of the empty tomb. If you have need before the church today, come while we stand and sing together.